Welcome to the Breakfast Poetry Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie Vivienne, the host of Breakfast Poetry, and in this episode I was able to speak with Claire Sullivan, who is a professor of Spanish at the University of Louisville, and she translates the poetry of Natalia Toledo, a Zapotec poet from the Oaxaca region of Mexico. Claire fell in love with the Spanish language growing up in Chicago, and she became a student of literature and Spanish in her graduate studies. As a translator, Claire listens to the weaving of sounds and rhythms as she strives to maintain the playfulness, beauty, and complexities of Natalia's poetry. In our conversation, we explore the many ways language is a reflection of culture and how poetry is a vessel for the sounds of tradition and evolution. Ana panda vieke, guluai kenda niruba, tika di gusianda cavenaya. Naga chirita wageta na rubirua, tiki chagana yangi uyoso. Guchita rubana biku, nebiti de gusigie, namejabido, rita wajita bigubiji, derabiquija gidirua, sope bicajigija, tinilla alastine, nebini tela de sashiame, giragenda se la biaba Runi bindienda anigisu gendaro. Bichuwa gielua netigujiu nebiruse lustui. Para chigiji nyuna aya. Pagirage la ruganda tiludo ahura guse. Netiga misa jazidi. Stishastua iya isiakaji kaguna adenda. To tell me a little bit about your background and um, what led you to where you are now and, and how much of translating, how much is that part of your your work um, and your passion? Well, well, let's see, how far back should I go? Um, far back I guess <laughs> I guess from the time I was a kid, I heard Spanish around me. Um, and so in the neighborhood where I grew up in, the, in Chicago, so I always was interested in it and trying to, it was sort of like a puzzle for me, trying to understand what people are saying. But I didn't start studying it formally until I was about 14. And I've been studying it ever since, as I always tell my students for many years. And um, so I always had that music right in the back of my head. And I think when I, um, and I studied as a minor in college, not as a major, but I studied English because I love literature and I found it the best way to learn about other things. Um, and so then went to the Peace Corps, which was a you know, really good chance to learn Spanish in the real world and to kind of take a break from our society a little bit and learn about how other people live. And when I was there, I think one of the things that got me going, kept me going was working with kids and poems and songs and stories. We kind of made, no, nothing ever really got published or anything, but we, we always got together and did our book, which was them telling me stories and writing down rhymes. And so much of that, you know, the sound it was very oral culture, really, because there wasn't electricity and there wasn't um, dependence on all the devices that we have now. I'm sure there is now there, but there wasn't at this point mm -hmm. in the Dominican Republic. So um, I, and that was when I first tried translating. I think I was reading some stuff in Spanish that I wanted to share with people back home. And so I tried translating and found it really fun and challenging. Mm. Great. So, and then now you are a professor and can you talk a little bit about what you teach and, and how you integrate um, all of this into your daily teaching and, and research? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, I feel really lucky because um, I went to grad school, studied Spanish and Latin American studies and focused on literature and kind of did my thesis on translation, but just sort of made it up as I went along with help from some advisors. And um, so it wasn't a formal training. And so now I teach Spanish and teach language and literature whenever I can, although frankly, it's becoming less and less a part of teaching. And then um, luckily we've had um, master's students. And so I get to teach translation. And um, when I do, I usually teach, like right now I'm teaching a general course. So I just teach basic theory and practice, um, Spanish, English, English, Spanish. But um, what I get to teach occasionally, like this spring will be literary translation, which is the most fun of all. And that, but frankly, I think translation is really a part of language learning for me and cultural learning. So um, it's a way to learn how to read better and it's a way to learn about other cultures and your own and about language at a deeper level. Mm. It's sort of the deeper, deepest form of reading for me. So I think I use it in classes regularly as an exercise. Mm. Um, and I'm always amazed at what my students come up with. In fact, you know, I, sometimes I have to go back and edit based on their suggestions or ideas. I love that. Perspective. So I feel really lucky because I'm able to do this kind of like talking to people about translation and thinking about it, reading about it for my job. You know, mm -hmm. it's, 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 um, it's very exciting. And, and to work with my students on it, we're always, you know, whenever I can, we're doing projects, either more community-based projects or when we can, or literary projects. So to be able to think with them, think through things with them and learn with them is really exciting and fun. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That uh um i think we would all love to be in your environment every day <laughs> um, so well my question then is with language you know and that being a way to learn about culture um i think often when we think about learning about culture we think about food we think about music we think about art but we rarely think about language because it's so practical and mundane so can you talk a little bit more about and that i, I mean i think you know that will eventually kind of you know, run into our conversation about poetry and poetry being a more musical way of speaking, more lyrical way of speaking. But yeah, can you talk, can you talk, can you give us a little mini lesson on how you talk to with your students about how language is a reflection of culture or how language influences culture? I guess poetry is a great way to do that because you have to do it without even consciously thinking about it. For example, recently in an exam, I gave them students an Italia poem and to translate, I gave it to them, um, the recording in Zapotec and Spanish, and then they had to translate it into English. And um, we had been talking about some of these issues about culture, whether you should let the culture stand out, the original culture, or mold it to for the receiving culture, and what to do about words that are very specific that don't really exist in another culture and things like that. So they had to kind of wrestle with that, but I just left it in their hands. And about sound, you know, I, I said sounds important, but I didn't say why or how. And so they made different choices based on that. Some of them um, changed things that were either Zapotec or Mexican to American items mm -hmm. um, to um, and played and put sound as a more important feature. And some of them 
really um, stuck to the original images. And so um, I think I try to do it a little bit more indirectly because I think that's probably the best way for them to learn it for me. To, that's how I've learned is just coming up against examples and trying to figure out what to do with them. I love that you give that so much freedom and creativity and, and, and then it produces things that you've never noticed or um, right. It's amazing. And this has happened a couple of times recently where um, a poem that was already published in translation, I realized the student came up with a better idea. So <laughs> I, I have to figure out how if we do further additions to credit them and change it. Yeah, no, that's lovely. That's brilliant. Um, tell me how you found Natalia and her poetry and, and what that relationship, how that started. Well, that was a really lucky chance where a professor of mine, um, Jacobo Sefami, who's just an amazing professor and expert of, on po Mexican and, and Latin American poetry, is at UC Irvine. And he was my professor in grad school. And I was talking to him about what I should do next or who would be good. And he always knows who's writing. And he suggested her. And it was really a great chance for me because I guess I really love how she I love her poetry and as hard as it is sometimes to get into it because I don't know the original language and don't know that much about the original culture in comparison to a lot of people. I, um, it's so strong in images and sound and that guides me. And there's so much poetry out there that it's wonderful, but very obtuse. And I've worked with a lot of it and I learn a lot from it, but it's not as, it doesn't speak to me in the same way. So mm -hmm. that was really good. And so I got to meet her, I'm trying to remember how soon after that I went to Mexico and met her. And that's a story in itself. She is her own person. <laughs> um, and, um, but so we've worked together and I've worked a lot with a friend of hers who's also a poet, Irma mm -hmm. Pineda, who's probably been my best partner in this because she's a teacher, hugely generous, a poet in her own right, a friend of Natalia, a native speaker. And so um, she helps me with a lot of drafts and understanding. That's so, um, what a gift to have someone who, who is so willing, someone who's part of that language and that culture who's so willing to help you and, and help you understand and, and maybe has a good understanding too of an English American culture as well and can be that bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, so with, uh, I'm glad I've, I've just learned about another poet that we'll have to um, investigate too. So, yes. so what, and what was her last name again? So Pineda. Pineda. Irma yes. Pineda. Okay. Well, have yeah. To. And you'll, yeah, you'll probably want to talk to Wendy Call, who her, is her translator, who's amazing. Oh, this is starting herself. a whole series of lovely translator poet. <laughs> I think this yes. is a series. Okay. So, so you meet Natalia and you, um, and then you, you're translating from the Spanish and, and then working with Irma, who is helping you make sure that, like, like, can you talk about, you brought this up earlier, that trilingual process and how that all starts to come together. Right, so that's, it's difficult because, and this is something I wrestle with almost daily is that I don't know Zapotec and I feel like, oh, I should know Zapotec. And, there's a lot of barriers to that, right? I'd have to go spend a significant amount of time in the isthmus. It's very hot there. I get migraines, all these other issues of, you know, I have teenage kids and so on. But also 
and I'm not opposed to it and I want to learn it, but it's also interesting. You know, I also work with other poets who do other languages. So it's like, how much can I do? What is the most important thing to do? Um, but it also has taught me something really important that translation is really community effort and something that I didn't quite realize or accept until recently. It's, and I see that all the time now that I'm looking for it, that a lot of the translators that I respect most aren't necessarily fluent or at least don't speak the language they translate from, but they work with other people and that's just part of it and that you have to depend on other people. And so what we do, what I usually do is do a draft from Spanish listen to as many of the poems in the original as I can. Often there's recordings, or if not, I have Irma usually read them to me. And we go line by line with the original because often there's a difference between the original and the Spanish, either in choices she's made, what she's chosen to highlight, how she exp expresses something, or even sometimes she completely changes an image, or there's not a word in Zapotec for something and she makes up a word. Um, and so there's also a linguist who's a friend of ours, um, Victor Cata, who's also a writer, and he helps, he helps too, he helps her sometimes make up words in Zapotec for something that doesn't exist like snow. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, we, you know, so she explains all this to me. I mean, she is so amazing. So we'll go through line by line and she'll say, well, this refers to either a personal incident or this is a cultural thing that is a word used in this way. And I, you know, I learned a ton about the language and how it works um, and about the culture and what's important um, to people. And, but of course, again, the things are so mixed up, they're not unified. Like the Zapotec culture has been, it's been at a crossroads of other cultures for centuries because of where it is. It's at the isthmus, so it's thin, so people always go through there. So it's always been touched by other cultures and vice versa, you know. So, so it's not some kind of pure or uh, entity. So that always is important too. And there's a lot of immigration to the United States and back and other places. Yeah. I think so what we go through, and she helps me a lot. I love that. And I, I think that's a, a good thing to remember. I think often. I don't know if it's our Puritan heritage in America, but we, we tend to want things to be pure and original. And we forget that, you know, all of these languages are, all of them are evolving um, in their own way. And, and to be able to play with that, I love that she um, makes up, you know, words and it would be, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned I have a brother who's a translator and, and does the same thing. And it's fun to hear the words that they have to make up to kind of, you know, as, as new things come in and out of the culture and and it shows something about the language how the words they come up with to describe you know the descriptions it's still i feel like it's still you know pure to the language because of the structure of it or how they would name it or how they would call it but anyway i i wanted to ask you um what are some of the ways you would you would characterize and describe Zapotec, like the sounds of it, you know, as you've listened to it, um, and how do you try to maintain those sounds and those characteristics in the English? That's interesting. And I think I can point you to a couple people who know a lot more about it than I do in terms of as linguistically, but um, there are some things that are, um, it's very, musical and it's strange to me it's when I first heard it it sounded like um an Asian language and so I always wondered you know where did this really come from and what and why um and it's it's sounds oh you've listened to it, it sounds like something I, you've never heard so um 
I've, I've loved the stories that Natalia tells of going to Italy or going to other countries and reading and people just not understanding a thing, but just being completely entranced by the sounds. Yeah. Um, I, I guess there is a lot of repetition as well, which makes it sound, um, the patterns and the rhythm of it sound beautiful. And it's not always as easy, easy to replicate in English in particular. But some of the sounds are more similar to English than Spanish, like the, there's glottal stops and things like that. So, um, and there's also tone, that's a huge thing. And that's something that means, like I was thinking I could read a short poem, but I'm gonna probably mess up the tone. So I may not be saying what I think I'm saying. So that's a huge issue that also connects it to Asian languages that we don't see in Spanish or English. Yeah, that, and, and so that may, makes for fun sound and also wordplay. She does a lot with onomatopoeia and things like that. And um, using words that are almost the same, but not quite. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think with that, I mean, would you mind reading a poem and maybe read it in English first? And then if you'd like to read it in whatever other language as well. Yes. Um, would you like a shorter one or a longer one? Just let's start with a longer one so we can really get a sense and feel for the sound okay well this is my favorite poem of hers so um another thing i do with my students is have them memorize poems and and say them because i think that's the best way to enter in a poem and so um and of course so i've memorized this at various times in different languages but i will read because i will forget today <laughs> okay so this is called for t.s Eliot. Red flowers, long and beautiful, grew from my fingers. How to forget the fear that robbed me of all certainty. I walked with my hands, wedged my body where there was mud. My eyes filled with fine sand. They called me the girl of the water lilies because my root was the water's surface. But I was also bitten by a snake mating in the marsh and became blind. I was Tiresias making his way with no staff. What are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? Perhaps I am the final branch who will speak Sapotec. My children, homeless birds in the jungle of forgetfulness, will have to whistle their language. During all seasons, I am in the south, a rusted boat dreamt by my eyes of black cocoa plum. I will go to smell my land, to dance a song with no one beneath a bower. I will go to eat two meals. I will cross the plaza. The north wind will not stop me will arrive in time to embrace my grandmother before the last star falls. I will go back to being the girl who wears a yellow petal on her right eyelid, the girl who cries flowers milk. I will go to cure my eyes. Thank you. Sure. 
And if you'd like, I can read that in Spanish. I don't trust my Zapotec for that one. It's long. The Spanish would be great. Okay. Para Tias Elliot, de mis manos crecieron flores rojas, largas y hermosas. ¿Cómo olvidar el miedo con que fui despojada de toda certeza? Caminé con las manos y metí mi cuerpo donde había lodo. Mis ojos se llenaron de arena fina. Me llamaron la niña de los nenúfares porque mi raíz era la superficie del agua. Pero también fui mordida por una culebra apareándose en el estero y quedé ciega. Fui Tiresias que recorrió sin báculo su historia. ¿Cuáles son las raíces que prenden? ¿Qué ramas brotan de estos cascajos? Tal vez soy la última rama que hablará zapoteco. Mis hijos tendrán que silbar su idioma y serán aves sin casa en la jungla del olvido. En todas las estaciones estoy en el sur. Barco herrumbrado que sueñan mis ojos de jicaco negro. A oler mi tierra iré. A bailar un son bajo una enramada sin gente. A comer dos cosas iré. Cruzaré la plaza. El norte no me detendrá. Llegaré a tiempo para abrazar a mi abuela antes que caiga la última estrella. Volveré a ser la niña que porta en su párpado derecho un pétalo amarillo. La niña que llora leche de flores. A sanar mis ojos iré. Um. Thank you for doing both of those readings. Um, I do feel like language reveals something different about the poem. And I'm wondering if, you know, as you've worked with, you know, translating and poets and, and maybe Natalia specifically, if, if there's ever any, you know, if they as the poets express you know that they can also see that you know adding another language you know they see something else in the poem that they didn't recognize well it definitely actually in cases natalia i don't work with them in english natalia or irma so they don't comment that much on the english but um even just the spanish and zapotec they're different poems often and usually the zapotec comes first but sometimes the spanish comes first mm. um and usually the zapotec is better according to irma but sometimes Spanish is stronger. So it's really, it's interesting that they don't always come about together. Yeah, that is it. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, maybe the the subjects of the poem, you know, the one language would lend itself better to, to describe the feeling of it than the other. And right. Because it's growing from that culture, that language. So... I love that they're matching up the subject matter, probably, right, with with each language. 
in those experiences. Um, so tell me a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, um, about the poems and literature that you know you that were the your first loves your first loves like so what turned you on to poetry what turned you on to literature and, and made you want to go down this path that's a good question um probably shakespeare honestly you know just beginning with that and um sonnets and yeah. the sound and the puzzles um lately i just i keep reading emily dickinson over and over and i find because her images are so strong and her sound is so strong mm. it's very captivating and it's also complex you know it's not she doesn't have answers so and it's also very nature-based which is something that i really find inviting yeah all the um but i'm trying to think of who else i mean i guess i try to read as much poetry as possible yeah, but um, it's hard to keep up with. There's what's so happening. much. <laughs> There's so much, and um, you know, it's what I studied in school as well. And I think um, what I tend to do is, you know, I'll find my favorites and I just go deep. And it's hard to get that breadth and just, you know, everyone kind of assumes because, you know, that's a passion of yours poetry that you'll know all the poets and all the things and you'll be able to keep up with all of it but it's it's like I, I remind people it's like music you know like there's genres and there's so much and it's endless and you know if you find a poet you love and share it with me there's a good chance i probably don't know them but i'm always excited to find just like you're excited to find new music you know yeah i would love to hear more about that if you i don't know if there's you know about what who you like and who you studied and all that too oh yeah i mean shakespeare i definitely studied in my schooling as well my graduate degree shakespeare and john dunn so oh um, very nice yeah but i mean my my first experience where you know my first kind of when i it was hearing poetry and that's what i love about what you're talking about with the sound was hearing my high school english teacher read a poem with so much passion and just i was just so caught up in her reading and the sound of it and so i've been very you know and on this podcast and in everything else i do with poetry i i really hit on um because it is music it's supposed to be heard and not just quietly read on a page you know that you need to speak it and i try to encourage people like even if like if you're afraid to read it out loud, try it when no one else is in the room. Just that poem needs to be heard and it needs to be felt in the mouth. It's a whole experience. And so that's, I think, even, you know, and that does relate to the translation process, you know, I think. And, and if you, I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about your process. Um, and you and you did talk about it's a community effort and so how much of that translation process is the listening i guess as much as possible i think it's easy to gloss over that um or it's, it's possible to just go right to the words on the page but i really especially with Sapotec, i really try to listen and um i think that's 
I, sometimes, for example, the poem that I just read, I think I like it almost more for the sound than even the images. I think the images are strong, but I don't even know exactly why I like it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's probably hearing it is what attracted me. And I guess that's what poetry is to your, to your point, right? So um, I think, so the process for me is first to, turn that off, first to listen and multiple times. And then I guess I try out a draft, you know, and I see what, and again, this is listening in two languages, right? So I listen, then probably read it aloud in Spanish, then see what I can do, and then listen to it in English, and then give it a rest, and then um, meet with Irma and go through line by line and, and see what my questions are, and then go back to it, and then go back to her again with the questions that remain. So it's, it's a many month, many try process. So do you, um, how often are you translating poems or literature? Do you have much time for that? Um, is that an ongoing thing for you? It is ongoing and it kind of depends on what comes to comes to me. So, um, you know, it's been sort of a gift that her poetry came and then she has a new book, new-ish book that I've been working on that hopefully will come out fairly soon. Um, and so I try to do it. Summers are more research time. So often that's a time where I concentrate more and have more time with Irma. But lately, um, I'm real, I try to do a little bit a couple times a week, just work on something, either reading about it or working on it um, to keep me fresh and, and also to help my teaching. Yeah. So do you practice, so are you practicing, are you finding just like other poets in general and just playing and like, how would I translate this poem or is, how do you do, how do you kind of? Um, I guess more um, just listening, like listening to and reading poems as much as I can in English as well to mm -hmm. think about how they work and to hear them. Mm, so you're um, so also reading and studying in English and just getting a sense of poetry in general, just keeping that. Right, and sort of figuring out what, if this poems are going into our culture and potentially, you know, in some way affecting our language, then how, you know, what are they, what are they come? My question. Oh, sorry, you froze up a little bit, so oh, I, I oh, let me that last bit, but yeah, so I was just I um, sort of the idea of who who else is who will be her companions in English, right? Kind Ooh. of thing. Oh, I love that. I feel like I hope someday you put together an anthology. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. And I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm always trying to. <laughs> But I, like you said, those nature based, you know, and I feel like Natalia has that, you know, those nature themes and the sounds of her poems. I would agree with you that um, often the sound is what, and the rhythms is what first captures me, because I'll often encourage people, when you first read a poem, don't focus on the lyrics, as I say, you know, like when you first hear a song, often it's the rhythm, it's the melody. And then you go back and you're like, oh, that's what they're saying, or oh, that's what that song is about. <laughs> and so um, I feel like it would be so lovely to even, you know, I'd love 
to see who you would pair Natalia with. Um, so I think maybe one of these days in all of your free time, <laughs> putting together an anthology of these uh, poets who have similar threads and themes in their rhythms. And... That's a very fun idea. Yeah, I, I hope you do it. <laughs> okay, or maybe we could collaborate if you have some. That would be fun. Yes. I, I would love that. But yeah, um, so do you, um, so just tell us maybe who, can you think off the top of your head who some of the other English poets you've been reading as of late? Who are, you, you mentioned Emily Dickinson. Is there anyone else that's um, been drawing you in? Who else was I? Hmm. Off the top of my head, no one comes to mind at this that's fine. moment. <laughs> I know it's like you said, it's a lot. And, um, and I feel like there's even just one offs, right? Like, there's just one poem that I'll come across and it just grabs me and, and then I'm always like, where was that? And it's too hard to keep track of sometimes. But it's lovely to have in those moments this thing, like the poetry that just moves in and out of us. Um, so uh, could you read maybe another poem of Natalia's for us? Sure. Let's see. Okay, this one doesn't have a title, but it's also one of my favorites and one that I've learned a lot from. I wish you could walk with me on petals, but also over pebbles. My heart was sad that you left me in a basket where smoke from the saints made my head swim. My tiny feet wanted to hold on tight to their shadow's hand. How I wished to never ever kneel down at prayer time while my eyes cried like a colander. It would have helped my loneliness if you hadn't abandoned me in the belly of an old convent where women prayed until their names were erased. I slept beneath a tall guava tree, washed clothes for a year in the water that sprang forth. I sat upon a dog's back, carved my courage on his ribs. How beautiful it would be if you learned to love until your eyes ached and your heart dropped petals of pain. Mm -hmm. And do you have the Spanish for that one as well? Yes, let me find it right here. Okay. Desee caminaras conmigo en las flores, pero también en las piedras. Quería mi corazón que no me dejaras en un canasto con humo de santos que hicieran toser mi cabeza. A mis pies les hubiera gustado no soltar de la mano su propia sombra. Cómo hubiera querido no arrodillarme jamás a la hora de cantar oraciones hasta que mis ojos lloraran como una pichancha. Habrías ayudado a mi soledad si no me abandonaras de un convento viejo donde vivían mujeres que rezaron hasta borrar sus nombres. Dormí bajo un árbol 
de guayabo alto, lavé ropa un año sobre el agua que nacía. Ahí senté sobre la espalda de un perro y tallé mi coraje sobre sus costillas. Qué hermosa fuera si aprendieras a amar hasta que tus ojos dolieran y las penas de tu corazón se deshojaran. I love that. I, <laughs> I went through a phase where I was trying to memorize poems in Spanish in hopes to that would be my way of learning how to speak Spanish, which is I'll just start memorizing poems. And so it's interesting as you're reading that, you know, the first time you read it in English, and like I said, it has, you know, it's it, it's so much more complex for me, but I loved the simplicity of just recognizing words in that musicality of the Spanish, which, you know, you still get a certain musicality from that. And it's fun to recognize things here and there. It's this like, you know, that's what becomes the emphasized moment for me. But I wanted to ask you with that poem, and, you know, if you were, if you were reading that or bringing that up in one of your classes, you know, what might you ask your students to attention to listen to what kinds of questions would you ask them as they you know or, or well, that poem oh, that poem in particular was a was very interesting for me because the sound in the in Zapotec is very playful and there's for example the first line um there are two words that are almost exactly the same the word for flower and the word for stones is very very similar and um and so that didn't work in Spanish, that, that didn't capture it. But so I tried to do that in English and I spent lots of time going back and forth. How can I make them echo each other like they do in the original? Because it sounded so beautiful. And I thought it was so interesting that the words were so similar. Um, and so that was some, that's something that I would probably challenge them to, to, try to, to try to address how the two versions are different. Um, and I guess also the, this poem in particular is a story. It's a personal story about her and which, you know, again, I sort of have the privilege of knowing thanks to her and Irma um, that it talks about when she, what, I think it must've been, she grew up in the Isthmus, but then she went to the capital to be with her dad for a while and she was misbehaving. So they sent her to a convent to live for a year. And um, so she still resents it, I think, you know, and so her, her dad, who was, was a famous artist who passed away this, about this past year, Francisco Toledo, you know, she, um, interesting, of course, we all have complicated relations with relationships with our parents. So some of this comes out in the poetry, which again, I feel like, oh, it's not exactly fair. I know that, but it's also really interesting to see. Um, and the images of the convent, you know, there's, and there's another couple of other poems in her newest book, about that experience and they're all these hard cold images wow. um, of the convent and then her other images are so soft the images of you know just more rounded and more mellifluous that you know i do you're right like that personal experience you know for you at least as the translator to know that so that you know you're you know i i do think of john dunn um you know one of the one of the first lines of one of his most well-known poems is you know and he's speaking to god and so you think it's this religious kind of praising god you know thou hast made me but when you when you speak it out loud and those monosyllables are very hard to say so you can feel the struggle behind those words and the doubt and the reluctance behind those words but if you just read it on the page 
And so I think, you know, you and that experience with Natalia and the cold hardness of the convent, and yet she, you know, there's so much beauty in her, even though it's cold and hard, it's still beautiful. And I think though, for you to know that background story is important so that, you know, that that coldness can still come through even in all the beauty of that poem. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> um, so you, I was going to ask you what's next, but you kind of mentioned there's another book with, uh, with Natalia coming. So that will be great. Yes. I hope, I hope we can get that out. We've been working on it for a while and it's just a matter of everything's delayed with pandemics. So, yeah. So will you be able to get down there again? I know you mentioned. Yeah, it's probably not till the fall. Um, I'm looking forward to going back. It's been too long and, um, yeah, yeah I've been, I think about it every day. I think about just Mexico in general. So yeah, it'll be great to get back. And and um, yeah, and I work with another poet from Chiapas as well. So she sent me something beautiful that she says is not ready. So um, Enrique Lunas. But again, that's another language completely different. It's from the Mayan family. Um, so you know, what do I do? Yeah, I, I like that's my brother. His language that he knows are the Mayan family. So. Um, but that will be, oh my, so I, again, maybe last question for you. Oh, of course. Um, is, so with working with these poets from Mexican regions, was that, I mean, and it's, I guess it's tied to your just, you, you already knew Spanish and you spent that time in Dominican Republic. So it was just a natural kind of, these were the poets you were drawn to, to want to translate. It was a culture you were already kind of curious about. Um, that... I think it was just a lucky, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, yeah, I was gonna say, well, first answer and then I'll, I'll tag on a little something. Oh no, so it was just a lucky break meeting Natalia and reading her poetry because I think, and it was just very suited to me. I think I've done other poets where they're more philosophical and more obtuse and it's a struggle because I really love the sound and imagery and that's what grounds me and that's what, Yeah. Make, excites me and then um also just as a teacher i think just becoming more and more aware of how many languages there actually are in mexico and sharing that with my students and having them be completely flabbergasted that there's more than one language in mexico there's even almost 50 and that there are people living and speaking them and just how that explodes their understanding and so i think to me it's just very exciting to be a part of to learn about it and I, in particular to kind of honor women who write and who go unnoticed and who have all these things to share you know there's it's phenomenal and and who translate themselves and just keep working away and have all these treasures yeah excited to find some treasures yes I love that I love I, you know I always you know when I tell people that my brother speaks this Mayan language you know, I remind them like, it's kind of like here, you know, we still have people who speak Navajo. We still have people, you know, like there's, I think people forget that we even have our own, you know, indigenous cultures and languages. And, you know, in the same way, you know, they face the struggles of surviving in modernity, but I hope, you know, you doing things like this and when we, it's almost like we need to see it in another culture to remember that we have it in our own as well. But I guess yes. my, my tag on question was, you know, do you have you ever thought of or hoped about, you know, um, 
meeting more poets throughout even Southern America or even Spain. Um, has that ever come across your mind at all? Yes. And in fact, I mean, I guess there always seems to be so much, you know, and it's just even in Mexico alone. But you're right. In fact, recently something came to my attention, a really beautiful project. And I think it was organized by Joy Harjo, but hmm. I can't remember. Have you seen that with the map of poetry? Oh my gosh, what an incredible undertaking. Everything, and, and of course it has all the recordings and the map and the interaction and the backgrounds. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I realize I've come about this at a straight, from a strange angle and I still don't have a lot of the tools. And there are, meanwhile, there are people who do the, have been doing this for many years yeah. um, who know so much. Um, who I'm indebted to and also who I you know, try to learn from because talk about riches. I mean, there's so many layers. And again, and, and it really is interesting how these cultures connect to each other and our own and the maps aren't drawn by nations or other things. So we're really connected to all other continents through these languages and um, they're still alive, you know, and it's something, but I think you're right. I think it's kind of great to go somewhere else and then you realize, oh, we have all this too. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, it's, I'm so glad you're doing this and, and I'm glad you brought up the, the map, the Joy Harjo project. And so I'll link to that as well, just because I feel like this whole, I don't know, I, I, um, I think there's so much that we're overlooking and that could really anything that ties us to land are the land here and the history of it and I feel like poetry is such a beautiful way to get to know a culture because you're getting and you're just you're getting those ordinary images but in such a, a beautiful like you said there's always questions you know so it, it's a very inviting I guess experience into the culture where it doesn't feel so um I don't know, there's less walls with poetry. So I feel like it's always a really good doorway for people to experience a new culture. But um, I don't know, um, I know we're coming up here at the end of an hour. Um, do you think if I see my clock right? Um, is there anything else you wanna add um, before we wrap up? Well, I just wanted to thank you for this opportunity. I think um, it's, it's easy to get kind of bogged down in projects and to think about what's next, but I don't take, often take time to go back and read stuff I've already done and to listen to it and to relearn it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really fun and, and kind mm -hmm. of a good reminder. Um, and then also just um, your love of poetry. It's, it's really fun to talk to you. I hope that maybe we can keep in touch, maybe do a project at some point because um, I'd love to hear more. I mean, I'd like to interview you, I guess, and hear more about <laughs> some of you know your love of poetry, where it came from, how you came across Natalia found out about it and so plans to go visit Oaxaca and one of these days and I hopefully can at least uh interview Natalia if you know yeah I always have dream my my celebrity dream meets are all poets like if oh, I that's great poet, if I can meet this poet <laughs> but yeah no I would love to yeah let's keep in touch and I would love to keep chatting and and yeah I would love to collaborate I'll probably just start running and gathering things. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thank you. Thanks yeah. for your interest. Thanks for your time and for your dedication to poetry. It's, mm -hmm. it's so important and we forget about it. Mm 